BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, I know it doesn't feel like it, but we're not that far away from UFC 283, and later on today's show, I'm going to discuss the betting odds for the main event that night. Also on the program, we're going to talk about a photo of Hazmat Chemayev that just came out, and I'm going to get into some drama going down to the UFC's lightweight division. Let's get right into it. Khabib is taking some time away from the sport. Khabib is done with the MMA industry. I've heard both. I've heard both, and it really matters which one it is, right? Because it's Khabib saying it. It's not words from another guy. Most people in our space begin in our space with an idea. They're just floating an idea. They're just workshopping an idea, throwing some things at the wall, see what sticks. Very common. All the promoters will float an idea or get a guy to float an idea right through social media. Just see if it catches on. Hey, is that a matchup? Is that an angle? Is that a direction that we want to go? Right? Makes perfect sense. This is some conspiracy theory. I'm just sharing for you. Generally, when somebody has an idea, they're looking or considering going in a certain direction. They come out and they float it past you guys. That's not what Khabib does. That's why it's so relevant. Right, I, I I go to two different sites. I got the the, the I, I got the elbow and I got the mania. And one of them says that Khabib said, "I'm going to take some time away from the sport." That, quite frankly, means nothing. If Khabib's going to take some time away from the sport, I'm not sitting over here talking to you guys about it. That would mean nothing. Take a vacation. Take the take the afternoon. Hell, take the whole week if you want to. Oh, you mean longer than that? Okay, great. Take a month. It would be nothing. I'm done with the industry is is completely different. I don't know what a day in the life of Khabib looks like. But if I'm to be fair with you, I'd be interested. He strikes me as a very interesting guy. And as you're just trying to guess, right, he's got the family from Dagestan, which he's extremely loyal to. But he's got the team and they do a lot of training in San Jose, California. So it's one of these juxtapositions that you can only be in so many places at once. And based on some of the statements, Khabib wants to slow down, he wants to be with his family. Okay, we all understand that. Like, there's not going to be any argument here. There's not going to be any kind of a pushback. This is a noble and honorable guy. And whatever it is he's going to go and do, we can trust it'll be with nobility and honor. 
But we do have a piece of business still floating out there, and it's known as Perth. It's known as Islam Makhlchev taking on a world champion who happens to be ranked five spots ahead of him on the pound-for-pound pound list. I mean, not for nothing, right? There's some business left unattended. What will that mean? And I can't come out and tell you that Khabib is done. He won't be with Islam. I can't come out and tell you that. I got two different statements. One is he's taking some some time away. Okay, great. Take some time away. Are you, are you back tomorrow morning? What do you, you want to adjourn for a few hours? Right? Take, take some time away. doesn't mean anything. The other I'm leaving the industry means I will not be with Islam. Not, not only does it mean I won't be in Perth with Islam, it means I won't be at camp. I won't be training. I won't be in the gym at 3 o'clock this afternoon like I have been for the rest of his life. And, and, and then what does that mean? Is Islam prepared for that? Is, is that okay? Hey, you brought me this far and you, you, you showed me what I need to know. We've done this dance, right? I'm 16 and 1. I know the drill. I know the routine. Khabib had to do his, his final fight without his father, without his coach, without his mentor, without his trainer, without somebody that he thought was going to be in the corner and be there with him. He had to do that. It wasn't a choice, right? Very tough stuff, but he lost him. Performance-wise, Khabib went out there and looked outstanding. Can we agree on that? So so what do we want to make if Islam's to go out there without him? Not the same thing. It would be by choice. But it's got some real characteristics of the same. It's got some real characteristics of you've already shown me. You've taught me what to do. I'll give, I'll give you guys a, a simple story, but from my past, Chuck Kearney. He was the head coach at the University of Oregon, and he ran practice every day. We get to practice one day, and he's not there. And we almost didn't know what to do. As a team, we almost didn't know what to do. There would never been a day where he wasn't there. Well, he was on a recruiting trip, going and seeing Branson Phillips out in Oklahoma. And Chuck didn't give us any warning that he wasn't going to be there. So he came back, and he told us why. He knew he was going. He didn't forget to mention. He purposely didn't mention us. He wanted all of us to show up at 3 o'clock. All of us have our gear on, ready to go, waiting for him to walk in the room. Tell everybody up and running. The reason he did it is because he said, what are you going to do when you get to the national tournament and I'm not there? And you say, I don't know how to do this. I quit. I give up. I don't have somebody telling me when to put my shoes on, when to time, when to grab the headgear. I don't have somebody telling me what to drill, what to work on, how, how hard to go live, how many sprints to do at the end. Or at this point, having done this enough, can I step aside and you still know what needs to be done? It was a very important lesson. It's one that I haven't forgotten. I remember the kid was Branson Phillips. I remember he went out to Oklahoma. I mean, those, those, are, those are some pretty big details just simply for a guy not being in the practice room. But the point lives on. So is that the spot that Islam's in? Because maybe he's not. I don't know. How much Islam needs Khabib? I know that Khabib needed his father. Again, that, that, that's a sensitive topic. I'm not trying to go too far down that road, but this was made public in front of us. And the way that Khabib dealt with that, whether we like it or not, we can look back. The story is the same, which is I have an obligation. I have already committed to something. I'm going to see that through. And as soon as I do, I'm done. Is that how Islam feels? Is Islam got an obligation? He's going to go out there and he's going to see it through. And when that match is over, it's a big speculation by me. 
hell of a speculation, but I'm just asking the question, right? I don't, I don't have answers to this. I got two different websites. One of them says that he's stepping away. One of them says he's done with the industry. They're, they're vastly different. And when it's coming from somebody like Khabib, that means there is a decision. That decision is made. That decision is going to be stuck to. And it affects a whole bunch of guys, but possibly nobody has a spotlight on them more than Islam. And I cannot realistically imagine a scenario where Islam in his career goes into a bigger match. It's very hard to do. A world title fight in the toughest and deepest and most difficult division in our sport are very hard to come by. You are then taking on a simultaneous world champion, which means champ versus champ, which as cool as that is, guys, you could count how many times that's happened on, on one hand. They're very rare. Not to mention, Islam looks to be great, but he is taking on a guy who is five places ahead of him on the pound-for-pound ranking. I just don't know that, realistically, Islam is going to find himself in a scenario of a match with a storyline and an opponent that's bigger than this one. And these matches at this level, boy, they're, they're one. You're talking about a game of inches. You're talking about a game. Who, who got more sleep the night before? As silly as that sounds, but they're this close. Who warmed up appropriately? Who, right? I mean, you, you can fill in the blanks. And I don't want to get too weird with it, but I'm t- they're, j- they're small degrees of separation. And this feels to me like one heck of a matzo ball that just got set down. That your trainer, mentor, and coach is not going to be training, mentoring, or coaching you. It feels like a big deal. Khabib got put in this exact same spot, and he saw it through, and he said goodbye. Islam is now in a very similar situation, how he's going to react and how he's going to respond. It's of interest. Time will tell. But that fight that's always seemed so far away, the fight's next month. Let me read you a quote here. This is from the Big Bear. Daniel Cormier himself, there have been a number of upsets in mixed martial arts. In my opinion, if Volkanovski wins this fight, it is the biggest. It's bigger than anything we've seen because, and I'm telling you, when you get into the details of this matchup, it seems a very hard match for Volkanovski to win because his skill set is almost catered for a guy like Makhlchev, because of Makhlchev's ability to stand and also because of his size. Now, there ain't a damn sentence in there that I agree with. I mean, like, he didn't get, he didn't get one of these things right. Daniel is teammates, and I believe even a mentor to Islam. So I think that's great. I think what Daniel is really personalizing this. And he's saying, man, I just know how good this guy is. And if somebody could bump up from a different division and take him out, man, I've never seen anything like it. I think, I think that that is where this came from. But but I'm going to take it a little bit more literal. Because when I tell you there's not a sentence here that is true, that is literal. Let's break this thing down. There has been a number of upsets in mixed martial arts. Okay, now, if you were to make a statement like that, you would then say what the upsets were. You would say, like the night, 
that Matt Sarah beat George St. Pierre. You would talk about the night of eight to one spread when Holly Holm kicked Ronda Rousey in the mouth and took her belt away. You would talk about an eight to one spread, which I believe is actually the biggest upset ever. And people just forget that it happened because it wasn't an overly entertaining fight. But TJ Dillashaw walked right over Hen and Burrell. I believe off of my head here that that is officially the biggest upset ever. I don't think we've had one where the odds makers were bigger. But then you could go to a more recent example that was right there. It was six, it was it was five, it was six, and just happened, which would be Juliana Pena over Amanda Nunes. Normally you would state what those were, but we're going to move on here. In my opinion, says the Big Bear, if Volganovsky wins this fight, it is the biggest. It's bigger than anything we've said because, and I'm telling you, when you get into the details of this matchup, it seems a very hard match for Volkanovski to win because the skill set is almost catered for a guy like Makhlchev because of Makhlchev's ability to stand and also his size. That's interesting. Daniel, a two-time Olympic wrestler, did not talk about the wrestling ability by Makhlchev. He talked about Makhlchev's ability to stand and also his size. These guys weigh the same thing. I mean, I, I can't let that go, but Daniel believes that too. Daniel does not believe there's a difference between a 45-pounder and a 55-pounder. He didn't talk about his ability to get on top. Right? That's the only time size matters, just so you understand why I'm making a, a fuss about that. The only time size matters is when you're grappling. It doesn't matter when you're standing. And I don't know what body of work we've ever seen by Makhlchev to lead us to believe that he can deal with Volkanovsky. Now, we've been told it, and we're told that it's there. But to have an opponent that is tailor-made to deal with a guy who's got an incredibly long reach, a great jab, never gets tired, throws a lot at the wall. Oh, and by the way, in 16 fights with some of the hardest opponents ever, considering a lot of them were world championships, whether he was pursuing it or he was bringing it with him, none of them have ever bested him there. It'd be very different if, if Daniel was to say, man, this guy, he's just going to take him down. He's too big for him. He's going to get on top. He's going to change him one of the best wrestlers from the Caucasus region versus a dude that played rugby in New Zealand. This isn't rocket science, guy. I mean, that would be very different. I wouldn't be able to disagree with it. I wouldn't be able to argue with any of it. I'm, I'm just sharing for you within the paragraph. There wasn't a sentence there that is factually correct. Not one. Not even the size of Islam. The only time that Islam has weighed more than Volkanovsky is the last time Islam fought compared to the last time Volkanovsky fought. The last time they both weighed in happened to be 15 minutes apart. They weighed the exact same thing, 155.0. There is no size on Makhlchev. The highest Makhlchev's ever gotten reportedly is 182 pounds. I wouldn't actually know because I'm not a dork. I wouldn't be interested in it. As I just happened to know with Volkanovsky because it was a big part of his story. He used to play rugby at 96 kilograms, which translates into 211 pounds. These guys aren't even close to the same size. Volk is much bigger. It's just a really interesting statement. Like if you're Volkanovsky and you think the big bear is telling the truth and you go, wait a minute. 
My biggest concern is this guy's going to stand and trade with me. It's punches and kicks and elbows and knees. I mean, Jiminy, I got this thing locked up. The only thing I'm worried about is him taking me down and my inability to deal with it from there. My inability to get back up to my feet. It was a very peculiar statement, not to mention, if you talk about upsets, then you're talking about odds, specifically. And this wouldn't be that. I do like the concept that Daniel and I are disagreeing. I do like that. I like it because I believe there's going to be a lot more of this before this fight goes off. And this fight is next month. I mean, it felt like it was forever away. It is now next month. And I'm not sure that the UFC, the night they got this fight, were, were fully aware of what they were getting. Now, I could turn out to be wrong, right? This isn't like upsets, or I, I, I should argue this is just like upsets. It's reflected by a number. So when this business ends, it either does a great number or Chael's wrong. I'm just predicting I'm right because I think there's going to be a lot more talk just like this. We're not going to need Islam and we're not going to be Volk, need Volk. And that's good because we're not going to get Islam and we're not going to get Volk. But I think that you will have people that follow this sport very closely, such as is happening right now. And I think we're going to create a lot of debate on this topic. I'm not picking, at this juncture at least, I am not picking Volk to be Makhlchev. I'm speaking back to the narrative that you can't call it a huge upset when it started at 3-1 to one at DraftKings and it's even closed. It's 2-8 to 1 if you want to know exactly right now, but that's getting closer. You got Henan Burrell losing all five rounds to TJ Dillashaw, who didn't even, wasn't even supposed to have the shot. If you even remember how that fight came around, he wasn't even supposed to be in that shot, uh, spot. Runs over him as an 8-to-1 favorite. You don't, get, you don't then get to argue and say a 2-8-to-1 favorite is bigger than a, an 8-to-1 favorite. I mean, you just don't get to do that. I don't get to tell you what a huge fight this is. The number comes in. A whole bunch of you either watched it or you did it. I don't get to tell you. In my opinion, it was one of the biggest fights. You know, you, for me, it was one of the biggest fights. It was one of the ones I was most excited. It's, there's definitions. There's words. There's things that have to happen here. But this was a very fascinating take. Now, who's Daniel talking to right now? Is he supporting his guy? Maybe. Is he talking to the betters out there that aren't completely convinced? Maybe. Or is he scolding the rankings room who every Tuesday morning by 9 a.m. releases a list? They've got Volk number one. And they got Islam number five or number six. But I think that you understand my point. I mean, who here is wrong? Somebody's wrong. If Islam can beat Volk and people that are watching and an announcer and a former world champion and the coach of the guy says he absolutely can't to the point that it would be the biggest shock in the history of the sport for me, then I guess you're telling the rankings room who has them separated by five with Volk on top that they're wrong. I'm into that. But let's just call it out. Let's say what it is. Why would we not do that? And moreover, if you're telling me that Islam's going to win and he's going to do it on his feet, I mean, there's a whole jackpot full of money to be made here. It's not just for the 1% club. You can all get in on that. If you're telling me it's not going to be wrestling-based and that that's going to be the differential, come out and say it. Say your piece. Say anything you want. 
But don't tell me it's the biggest spread we've seen. That's mathematical and it's not true. And don't tell me that these guys are separated in weight. 145 and 155 is the same damn thing. Well, I know we're a little early, guys, but I've got the comeback of 2023 for you, at least for now. Okay, here's the front runner. Let me set up the scenario. Here's your players, Benny Darouche, Dustin Poirier. Story goes like this. And this dates back, right? Don't forget, Poirier, when he got out of the cage with Michael Chandler, this massive for two stars, goes to a press conference and he says he thinks it's a pretty good idea. As a matter of fact, to quote him, he said it makes sense for him to fight Benny Darouche. That's a big word when a fighter uses it, whether it seems like it to you or not. When a fighter says it makes sense, that may not be scandalous, but that is an, that should turn, turn your head into that direction. That's just a phrase within the industry. It's part of the vernacular. If you can get a fighter there, you've got him on third base. And this was coming from Dustin Poirier, right? Who's not just a great fighter, he's a star. And there's a difference. And he just got done with some very tough work known as Michael Chandler. And just to remind you of that exact moment, Khabib Nurmagomedov had taken to Twitter after Dustin's fight and prior to the press conference to say that on the Perth card, which is headlined by Islam and Volkanovsky, he believes they should bring Poirier and Arush. Now, Khabib was attempting to do two things. One establish a number one contender's bout for his guy, Islam, down the road. Two, provide an opportunity to have a backup fighter on hand. Great. No harm, no foul, but this is where we're all at. And Dustin Poirier, where most guys go, hey, man, give me, give me a minute. Give me some time. The last thing I want to do, right? You kind of want to bask in the glow. You go out and you get a tremendous victory like that. You do want to bask in the glow. You want your 15 minutes. You want all of that. And it's, it's really hard. When the press does ask you what's next, that's their job. That's all that we care about. While it matters to you what's already behind you, to the rest of us, we want to know what's next. So it's just one of these push and pull situations where generally somebody in Poirier's situation would punt. They punt just to, to, to get it off the topic, to continue enjoying tonight. Poirier said, man, I think the fight makes sense. So there was some real opportunity there. Now let's fast forward. The fight hasn't got done. Get down to brass tacks at the great comeback. Benny Darouche came out and said, no, nah, it doesn't look like I'm going to be fighting Dustin Poirier. I would like to fight him, but Dustin said, I don't excite him. said, I wish Dustin would have finished that thought. What does it mean I don't excite him? What about me doesn't excite him? My style doesn't excite him? My approach doesn't excite him? My ranking doesn't excite him? He said, I wish he would have finished that thought. You know, I think it's because he doesn't want to fight an up-and-comer. Him being a former champion and an established star, established brand. But, and I say this with all due respect, I'm doing my best to quote Ben here. And I say this with all due respect, if you don't want to fight the up-and-comers, then I suggest you retire. Okay, so Poirier comes out, right? If you don't want something to do with something, just don't even touch it. Right? It's that old expression, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, doesn't make a sound. But that's a very real thing. And if you don't want to bring attention to something or somebody, you just ignore it completely. Now, Poirier chose to respond, and he simply said, thank you for the advice, Benny. I'll take that into consideration. If you like hot sauce, 
free shipping on me. <laughs> so, I mean, I wouldn't have done that. If I was Poirier, I would not have done that unless I was working. Unless I was working towards building this fight. Now, the other side of it is if you have something else that you're marketing, of which he does, hot sauce, maybe you do take consideration to it. I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I really did. Like, there's good lines, but then there's there's sophisticated lines that involve a level of intelligence. And the greatest humor has to do with truth. Can we all agree on that? So there was something very funny about Poirier not dismissing him. As a matter of fact, he thanked him for his advice. That's not mean. That's G-rated. That's not mean. And then he offered him, I guess, a gift, a gift of free shipping on his hot sauce. Also, not mean. It was just one of these great things. And it's very easy to see this from both of their positions. I love... Without exaggeration to that word, I love the attitude of Benny DeRouge. Those are the guys that I like, man. And he means it. Now, damn near everybody has met it. Nobody's that guy. Nobody's that guy until they're that guy. Nobody's the guy that turns the gun back on the fans, turns the gun back on the organization, doesn't want to fight guys, needs everything perfect, can't, can't do this, needs more money, has to be a certain round, needs to go through his little training camp. Nobody's that guy until he's that guy. But Benny most certainly is not. He is a true competitor. If you called him up and you had a match for him, it would not matter what the name was. It wouldn't matter if it was the first fight of the night or if it was the main event. There's not very many people like that, particularly with the record, with the resumes, with the skill set, with the pedigree of Benny DeRouche. It's something really compelling. And I know that Dustin had it. I'm not ready to go as far as to tell you he doesn't still have it. I haven't seen that from Dustin Poirier. I have seen a gritty, grimy competitor in Dustin. I have not seen him say goodbye to that. But I think we we can understand from Poirier's standpoint of what's in it for me. There was a time when a competition, a competition in front of the world, hard work, set a goal, move forward. There was a time when that was all that was needed. But when you've done that rinse and repeat as many times as Poirier has, it is reasonable that now you turn to a little more of, hey, what's in that for me? I feel as though that's all anybody's asking each other right now. We'll see where this whole thing goes. I like the advice by Benny. I really do. And I hope that he gets that free shipping on some hot sauce. So speaking of things playing out on social media, a photo of Hazmat Chemayev emerged this week, and it's got all the nerds talking, so now it's my turn to weigh in on it. So a picture surfaces of Chemayev. Very beautiful photo. Looked like there was lighting was adjusted. He's got a sweat going on. Got a certain kind of shirt on, but the arms are cut off. He's got, right, it's called the hero shot. He's got the hands wrapped that are just coming off. There was a lot into this photo. I don't just look at this photo and go, wow, what a handsome guy. I look at that photo and I say, you're attempting to tell me a story. 
You took that photo and you posted it, attempting to tell the viewer a story. What is the story you're attempting to tell? And I have a guess. I have a guess, which is the story is this is a middleweight. This is a middleweight who's getting resistance going up to middleweight. Where is that resistance coming from? Is that from the fans? Is that from the promotion side? Is that within his own team? Is that within the rankings committee? I mean, I'm just, I'm just asking, what is this resistance to Chamay of going to middleweight? He's had five fights this off the top of my head. He's had five fights and two of them were at middleweight. That would be the official scorecard. But if you go look at his very last fight, it was at something called a catchweight. There is no such thing as a catchweight. I mean, just so we're clear on that, he weighed in at 178 pounds. That's middleweight. And it would just seem to me as though, instead of talking about talking and thinking about thinking and meeting about meeting on the discussion of what ways to Chimaev go, middleweight, it would seem. His team has been very open. They made a comment, it was two weeks ago. So we could do just about anything the UFC would like except a short notice fight at welterweight. It's hard. We just need time. We just need time. we got a plan and a dissension program. Weight management. It was a very interesting comment to me. And now we're confronted with this photo where he comes out and he looks big and strong. I don't know what else you would be trying to do. I, and I was looking close, too. Believe me, by the way, he's wearing something. He's got, he's got something on his stand. I was thinking, is this, is this a branded endorsement for that? I mean, I was very open to different ideas. The picture was taken, it was posted, and it was intended to tell a story. I think you got a middleweight. I've always thought you had a middleweight. That's not only an opinion, it's almost a wish, right? When, when you look at the younger guys, when you're done, you look back at the younger guys, a lot of times you'll want something for them that you didn't have for yourself. You'll want to impart maybe some knowledge or some wisdom. And I will just tell you, life in general was better when you weren't cutting weight or when you weren't having to lose as much weight. When the physiology was an absolute lifestyle. So now you get 365 days a year. It's just, it's one of those situations where, where is the focus and where is the energy going? Is it into the preparation is it into the strategies and the skill building? Or is it into beating the scale, which is such a difficult opponent and doesn't become easier with time, it becomes harder with time. I only met Chemayev once and it just happened to be in passing. I brought it to you guys, put it and posted it on Instagram. But I'm really good at sizing somebody up. I could do it with you guys. I could work at the carnival on guessing somebody's weight, and I'll be within five pounds. Just by take, just take a look at it. I've just been doing it my whole life. It's the way wrestling tournaments used to work. Ever since I was nine-year-old, you show up and you kind of look around at who's going to be in your bracket. He's really good at sizing people up. I took a look at Jemayim. I thought he weighed about 193 pounds. I turned to his manager before I left. I said, hey, what's he weigh? So right now, walking around, weighs 193 pounds. And this was about two months before he had a fight. This is just what Jemayim weighed. Now, 193 is an interesting number. 190 and 195 are less confusing than 193. So you have a guy like Chemayev who is known for staying in the gym, known for staying active, known for living the life. And that's going to tell you you got a pretty lean guy. 
You're not going to have a lot of fat on a bone on a guy that goes twice a day every day and takes either Saturday or Sunday off. You're just not. But you've got to get 23 pounds off. That's a lot of weight. So, okay, let's go get the 23 pounds off. This is what everybody does. Everybody cuts a whole bunch of weight. But 193, it is an interesting one because I, I could just tie some weights to your back, get you on a squat rack, show you what a Smith machine is, and all of a sudden you're 198, you're 200 pounds, you're 201 pounds, and you're coming down to middleweight, and you just be very in line with what middleweights weigh. If I just take a little closer look at 193 pounds, right? Very specific number. But if I was to look at a specific number of 193 pounds, one thing that 193 HMI have in common is that's exactly what Israel Adesanya weighs out of, outside of camp. 193 pounds. Adesanya cuts perhaps the least of any champion fighter in the last decade. It's something unique to him. But his performances show up very well. He's not worried about being the bigger guy when they get in the ring. Looking for a bracket in the category that he'd qualify at, go on and win world championships. I mean, it's a very different approach. It's, it's, it's a massive luxury. And if the story that they're attempting to tell by posting the photo of Chemayev with great light and a little bit of sweat and his, his, his arm showing is that he's a big guy, man, the story's been told, at least to me. I buy it. I've seen him fight at 185. I know that he could do it. I saw him miss weight for welterweight, so I know that that's difficult. I heard the coach say we could do anything except a short notice. Well, like all of these pieces are out there. I don't know where the resistance is coming. I don't know that he can walk right into a world title fight at middleweight. That would surprise me. More, more than surprise, that would shock me. I bet very heavily he can't walk right into that, but he's not, he's not getting ready to fight for a title at welterweight. Going to need one more at welterweight. He's going to need one at middleweight. Sounds like we're saying the same thing, except to get to the same thing, to get to the same result, one requires a much more torturous process than the other that lends to a little bit of comfort in a young man who is naturally going to get bigger with time. What's the pushback? Chemayev. Middleweight. UFC 283, guys, it's just one week away, and I want to take a couple minutes to give you an early preview of what I think a very interesting main event between Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira is going to look like. Glover Teixeira versus Jamal Hill, guys, this is almost upon us. I mean, every time we get a title fight announced, then you got to wait. You get excited, but you have to wait. This one, if you'll recall, because of the unexpected draw between Ankalaev and Blahovitz, gets made at a press conference, and it was only 30 days away. And that 30 days is now coming in on about 12 days. So it's a very interesting thing. I go over to, I go check at DraftKings. I want to see who the favorite is. Now, I believe that it would be Glover Teixeira, and I believe that for very clear reasons, of which it's in Brazil, it's at home. Glover was preparing for a world title fight. I believe that Glover is going to be the favorite. Much to my surprise, it was Jamal. Jamal is a negative 115 to be exact. Glover is a plus 105. Now, negative 115 to plus 105. For broad stroke colloquial terms, we're talking about even money here. That's a straight fight. Straight up pick em fight. That's just about as close as you're going to get, about as close as I've seen in a period of time. Now, what can we deduce from that? And why was Glover not the favorite? What was wrong with the reasoning 
that I supposed. Glover was preparing. This is at home. Glover was getting ready for a title fight. Glover has fought nothing but title fights because he was the champion. We know about Glover's card. I mean, it's, it's very relevant, right? You have two different contests if you're going three rounds versus five rounds. A lot of times that gets missed. There is a number of fights that if you were to change them to 25 minutes, you would also change who the favorite is. Now, when you're dealing with Glover Teixeira and you're adding those extra rounds, generally speaking, that's where he does his finest work. And I had made this comment. I made this comment on TMZ a, a little over a week ago, and somebody had corrected me, and they said, Chael, how could you say that when Glover's very last fight he was winning and the round that he lost was the fifth round? Okay, great. You know what? I'm, ho I'm hoisted by my own baton on that one. But it wasn't a cardio issue. I don't believe there was a cardio issue in that fight. I believe he got caught in a position that he couldn't get out of and he had to surrender. That's what I saw. I still do see that cardio favoring Glover. And I'll bring you guys uh, an inside stat that you may not know. And this is for Jamal Hill. But Jamal Hill's in the five-round club. There is a narrative out there that he isn't. There's a narrative out there that he was booked for five rounds, by example, against Tiago Santos, but it ended up being a finish within the fourth round. You're right to a degree, and that's within the UFC. If you do a little further research, Jamal Hill's fourth fight ever, it was in a different promotion. His fourth fight ever was scheduled for five rounds. Oh, and by the way, it went to all five rounds. In fact, why don't you do that? If you're a big fight fan, why don't you do that? Quick homework assignment. You can do it right here as we're talking together, but bring up Jamal's record. And I'll tell you why you should do that. I think you're going to be surprised. He's very young in this game. Jamal, Jamal started fighting in, was it 2017? And five years before you go, well, Chael, five years is a period of time. Well, not, not really. Not really. Not if you're getting three fights per year. Not if he's been in the UFC for three years. That means he only did two years on the regional circuit. The guy's roughly 30 years old. That's really interesting. That's a really fast climb. And I can even remember for myself the first time I saw him. I would prefer to come over here from a high-handed approach of Chael being the MMA authority looking down on everybody else. That's what I would prefer. But I remember seeing Jamal because I remember what I came and I told you guys and I simply said I can't imagine I could like this guy anymore. It had to do with his walkout, with his performance, how he handled himself in the ring, on the stick when it was done. It was just one of these things where I look at it now and I go, man, this guy's only been at it five years. He's already in the five-round club. He's already fought and beaten former number one contenders. He's already in a world title fight. Oh, and by the way, the most respected line out there set by DraftKings has him as the favorite. That is a pretty big accomplishment. Can we at least agree on that? Now let's break down a little further. Should he be? I mean, if you're going to beat Glover, how are you going to do it? And there are guys who've beaten Glover. Like, if you follow the sport and you go, Chael, he's not completely invincible. Well, you're not totally right about that. You're really not totally right about that. You want to stop Glover, you got to, you got to stop him. you got to put him down. You must send him into a different form of consciousness. That's very different than getting into an X's and O's battle and you turn an Uma Pilata into a triangle and he reverts and you throw your leg over, you stretch him out in an armbar. That's, that's terribly different. You've never seen that done to Glover. You've never seen him outwitted within the sport. You've never seen him out-techniqued within the sport. You've never seen him out-hearted or out-conditioned, which are things that happens to an athlete later in his career. 
A fighter does not get better by doing the sport. It's one of the very few sports where experience is not your friend. You leave a part of yourself out there, particularly some of the wars that Glover has been in. But if you did follow Glover and you've been along for the ride, you have seen people separate him from consciousness and get their hand raised. That's very different than going tit for tat and beating him. So if you're trying to use history as your trajectory for the future, you really got to ask yourself one thing. If you if you think DraftKings is right, if you believe that Jamal is going to win this fight and he should be the favorite, then you got to ask yourself one thing. In all fairness, can Jamal separate Glover from consciousness? Because the guys that you've seen beat him, the guys that you've seen get the jump on him, you can talk about reach and you can talk about youth. I'll listen to all of those things, but it comes down to one thing. Will that reach and will that youth lead you to a knockout for Jamal? Highly unlikely that Jamal is going to outposition Glover to a point that he's pounding away and a ref steps in with a TKO. Highly unlikely that you're going to see a submission against Glover Teixeira. Highly unlikely that you go out there and fight that guy for 25 minutes and have better endurance and cardio. It's just unlikely by the numbers. So now you're talking about Ken Jamal on shorter notice. I can't quite call it short notice. And he was prepared. He knew he had Anthony Smith. But I'm shorter notice. <clears throat> Send him into Brazil. Does that weigh in for you at all? What do you want to do with that? But these are all questions. And do you think that's going to lend to the perfect performance where he has the, the perfect power? To put on Glover, I think it's a lot. I think you're asking a lot. He can definitely do it. Jamal Hill can definitely do it. But we're not discussing he definitely can. We're not discussing crossing your fingers. We're not discussing a fighting chance. He's the favorite. He's the favorite. It's not just that he can do it. He is now supposed to go out and do that. Do you think that's right? And if you do, why? Where and how? Where does he beat him? How does he get it done? Why is that right? And I just see it, I see it a little bit differently. I think there's been some mistakes made by Glover over the body of his career that he would agree with me and say, in hindsight, was a mistake. Glover is equally good at the grappling as he is at the striking. But there has been a number of fights where he has struck, 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 struck before he goes into the grappling. There's been a couple of those fights where if you could look back, he should have gone that a little bit sooner. And with the right strategy, we have no way to know. And there's a tipping point, right? There's a tipping point where that, that 40 years old, boy, that's a cool thing. And the other side of that fence is, oh, what, what, what are you still doing out there? You're a little bit old, right? There's a tipping point that comes for everybody. But I don't know that I've seen the evidence yet that Glover's there. Glover Teixeira is the underdog in a fight for the championship scheduled for up to five rounds in Brazil, at least according to DraftKings. Does that sound right to you? To close out today's show, I want to revisit a massive story from last week that I don't think received enough attention. Biggest news out of last week, and it was a bit of a surprise, in all fairness, a bit of a surprise, it went to the PFL. I don't know if there's been a week where PFL has won the news, and I mean that as a compliment, but I'll share for you. <clears throat> Jake Paul, in MMA, his personal involvement on the business side of the pay-per-view arm of the PFL. Now, 
this was the biggest news. And, but I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied as a viewer. I wasn't satisfied that I knew everything. I'll give you an example. Very commonly would be somebody to come and make an announcement like this in conjunction with an opponent and a date. This would be the debut, generally. But Paul has done a number of press conferences where he leaves that out, purposely. We just need a little more time to go by to look back and see which approach was better. I don't offer you an opinion right now. I just remember the day that he announced Madison Square Garden, right? When it was going to be Will Fleury, which ended up being Bottom Ramen, we weren't told any of that when tickets were already on sale, when the announcement was already made. I'm just reminding you guys. So when Jay comes out and, and he just talks about this is what I'm going to do, there was something that was interesting, which could even be chalked up to we misspoke. Which was, hey, I'm challenging Nate Diaz to fight deal. Made that very clear. We're going to box first. Now, now, that was the part where I really wish they would have been at a press conference and we could have had some follow-up. I don't know that Jake is married to that idea as much as potentially just floating the idea. But it was still the part that left me in the lurch. Because if they're going to box first, then it feels like we just did an announcement for the PFL that isn't going to happen. As a matter of fact... The separation between the boxing and MMA was said to be six months, and the MMA nor the boxing has a date set. So if we were to take this information, we're taking it real literal, right? Perhaps perhaps I should not be. But I am sharing with you that if I take it literal, we've got Jake Paul is going to box first. His next thing he does is going to be boxing. Whether it's to get Nate Diaz or not, it's going to be boxing, which isn't announced. So we have X amount of time just to get us to the boxing date. Then, whether it's Nate Diaz or not, there's going to be six months until the MMA date. So the MMA date being six months separated from the boxing date, and the boxing date not even be set in front of us yet. I mean, I'm just asking you guys, is that what you want? Because Jake will listen to you. He'll do it your way. Do you want to see him do MMA next? Do you want to see him do boxing next? If you see him do boxing next... Are you okay with the idea that we're going to continue on the path of an older guy with the caveat that we will then go over it and do it that older guy's way, which is MMA? It works for me. Quite frankly, that works for me. And I'm not sure that I need to see all of those steps. I heard the plan. I heard the way it was laid out. And I thought it flowed really well. I thought it got a whole bunch of headlines. Bob's your uncle. We don't actually have to do that. We could do something close. Or moreover, we could just have already started that. Moreover, we could bring in Ben Askren, Tyron Woodley, or Anderson Silva. Already have done the boxing part, go right into the MMA part, and we're going to do that over the PFL. For me, I, it really does work. I get it. And I've personally kind of been curious in that. And I think it's very hard. I mean, I would just tell you from a business perspective, and I'm not approved. It'd be very hard for me to do a two-fight deal with two different rules with one guy. If the first one doesn't work, for whatever reason, he's not a good partner. It's a bad decision to start with and the fans didn't get behind it. For whatever reason, 
If it doesn't work and now I'm locked in and I got to go another six months with this same, right? It's, it's one of those tough spots where how do I pivot? How do I move if this is all part of the story? And if it's all part of the story, can I get the audience to tune in? I mean, it's tough, right? If I told you guys something really interesting, something that you want to see, but I, I take out of it once in a lifetime opportunity, I take it out right from Jump Street. Hey, here's what I'm doing. But I'm going to take your compulsion to make sure you see it away. I'm going to take that away by telling you, by the way, there's an opportunity where you can see it again. That's where it starts to be tough for anything. Can you get anybody to go and do anything and watch and really care when it's not the only time they can see it, they can also see it again? I'm asking the question. It's never been done before. I think it's a really good hook, and I think that it's interesting. I'm sharing for you, as far as the press conference went, there was a couple of things that if this would have been interactive, I think we could have cleared up. If I had the opportunity to ask a couple of questions, that would have been a big one. Is the idea of Nate Diaz, are we floating that around? Is it any more than floated around? And moreover, when you say that we're going to box first and then do MMA, does that mean the next time we see Jake Paul, it will be in the boxing ring? See, that's very relevant for me because that is a focus. That's an absolute focus on boxing. But if you're going into a new sport of MMA, you think that you would not want to waste any time. So if it's three months till the boxing event, I'm being very generous, right? It hasn't even been announced. Let's just say it's three months till the boxing event. Do I want to spend two times a day, every single day, working on one element when I know I got a mixed rules fight coming up? Or would I want to start right now on the MMA? I mean, it's, just, it's one of these questions. It's very interesting. How are you going to do it? Which way are you going to do it? Do we have to do the boxing and then the MMA? Does it have to be the same opponent? Are we married to this idea? Is there anything set in stone? It's most valuable promotions have a date in the venue. They haven't announced it yet, but they have it locked in for boxing. They're looking at some kind of opponent. Can the PFL start planning a venue and on sale for a pay-per-view featuring Jake Paul? Not with the information we've been given. we got to tighten this up just a little bit. And when they do tighten it up and they do bring it to us, I'll be bringing it to you. Because I do think it's a win, even if there's a few question marks out there. It won the week. It won the headlines. Got my interest. I think it has yours. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening. And I want to remind you that if this is your first time checking out the program, you can get every episode straight to your podcast feed by clicking on the big follow button. I'm going to be back for another show on Friday. Enjoy your week. Until then, I'm Chael Sutton, and you are welcome. Welcome.